Welcome to Over the Air Christian Podcast. This is the third and final part of this series where we discuss from a biblical point of view a comment that was made in the political arena about scripture being weaponized, faith communities mischaracterized, LGBTQ rights to medical and social services, law and grace, and freedom. This is the third and final part. Previously, I have covered the use of weapon as a necessary precaution and preparation in response to sin and crime with judicial responsibilities compared to the example of policing law enforcement. I've also covered the word of God being compared to a sharp double-edged sword, which is also a weapon, and that any use of such weapon requires training and discipline without which weapons could also be misused poorly to harm fellow men and that does not honor God, nor is that God's intention in any way. In this final part, I would like to outline some practical insights derived from previous talks for judicial bodies like government and agencies. In terms of lawmaking, the goal here is to pave the spiritual bedrock for appropriate initiatives between each group towards one another if possible. Uh, to put it shortly, it has to do with law and grace because there are things that we cannot accomplish simply by writing more laws and legislations. If perhaps faith communities could step in that way, I would like to start with the comment put forward by the senator. And this was a comment, quote here, there is nothing holy to write discrimination into the law, end quote. There's nothing holy to write discrimination into the law. End quote. This is not true at all. There are actually quite a few problems in this short sentence, and I have to expound on this before we address the communities. One thing at a time, on the subject of holiness, discrimination, and law, we have to first define the terms. By definition, holiness is to be set apart or set aside from everything in a state of purity from everything else that is unholy or profane. And to discriminate is to differentiate what is criminal and what isn't. So the function of the law is precisely to discriminate sin and crime, thereby identifying what is holy and what is not holy. This should be the starting point. But you will quickly realize and agree that race and social class isn't a moral subject. They should not become a category of morality to be discriminated upon by the law, as in it cannot be illegal to be a person of certain race or social class or group. However, to discriminate on the correct terms is precisely the function of the law to differentiate what is criminal and what isn't. Or even to discriminate what is unholy should be the primary function of any law. That is to distinguish what is holy and legal and what is unholy and criminal. That is the primary objective of the law. That's the model of excellence in the subject of holiness and discrimination and law. So to say there's nothing holy to write discrimination into the law isn't the most well put in my view. And so the categorical debate on this particular legislature should be about finding out what is holy and what is unholy amongst medical or racial or sexual practices. And that should be the aim of the law, to discriminate what is criminal and unholy 
and what is holy and legal. This is for the sake of clarity. Word definitions aside, I understand a large part of this conversation comes down to bias and prejudice, in particular against race and ethnicity, sexual orientations, and even social class, and how lawmaking could possibly police that. So I mentioned earlier, there are things which the law could not accomplish. That's because there are things which God chose to accomplish, not by his law, but by his grace. I've already covered the power of God's word as a judge of the law. Now we have to differentiate law and grace under God as well. And law and grace are the two opposites where the government stopped short at on a lockout in this debate about people groups denying health care. Partly because lawmaking is the primary function of the government. Two instances from the gospel of the Bible comes to mind, and then I'll explain. There is the parable of the Good Samaritan found in Luke chapter 10. A man was on the road and he was robbed. And two people passed by and did nothing. Now, the two people who passed by were significant. They were a priest and a Levite, meaning a priest, a holy man, There's the subject of holiness again, ideally the most holy type of a person in a society, practically a priest, or to be identified like a pastor, there isn't a more holy type of person in town you could ask for. That's the priest. And then the other was a Levite. A Levite traditionally upholds the law of Moses. In other words, the Levite was a legal representative or a law keeper. So in this parable of the Good Samaritan, there is a holy priest and a law-abiding legal representative that is the Levite. And you begin to see the direct connection and implication for this Congress hearing, not necessarily as individuals, but as respective societal groups. Now these two, the priest and the Levite, they passed by from the person in need and did nothing. Well, that's because priests and Levites were barred from touching a dead body if the man was dead. Uh, to maintain their own state of holiness among their own faith communities. And the faith communities are being appropriately characterized here because they have maintained their laws to keep their holiness. However, they were not the good neighbors that Jesus was leading his audience to become. It was the Samaritan stranger who was, a, who was of a different race and ethnic heritage different from the audience at least, he came and gave everything he could to help that poor man recover in safety. This Samaritan, as you may recall, went above and beyond. He took this man to an inn, a place where the Samaritan made sure this man that was robbed was well taken care of and that he could recover from all his wounds. And this innkeeper was charged, paid even, to take care of this man. It was his duty, now charged by the Samaritan, the innkeeper's duty, to take care of this man. Now for this innkeeper, it wasn't the man's own request to be helped because he is half dead already. The person who was robbed was not the person who asked to be taken care of. It was the good Samaritan. Simply because the man was in no place or in no power to ask, he just got robbed. He didn't have anything to negotiate with to ask for help. So it had to be the Good Samaritan who paid for him, paid for his stake and paid for his debt. He just got robbed. He had lost everything. And he had lost something very personal 
and important to him. He wished he would get it back, but he can't, and he won't. Because whoever robbed him is already gone, and that he wasn't even in the picture. And the Samaritan didn't simply leave him there with, at the inn. The good Samaritan returned at a later time to make sure he was all right, and everything was well taken care of, and paid for any outstanding debt, for lodging or medical cost, if you will, everything. And through this parable, Jesus helped the listener understand it was the Samaritan that was the good neighbor, outdoing the good deeds over the holy man that was the priest and the Levites who maintains the law, the law in the land. And the wonder I see now is that the Samaritan did not save this man on his own will. He had to rely on a provider, the innkeeper, to keep him safe. The Samaritan didn't simply save him to himself. He needed the innkeeper to keep his word or uh, be charged to save, to help this man. It wasn't, a, it, it wasn't the Samaritan's solo effort. That's what I'm trying to say. Now, all the information we have about the man who needed help was that he was on the road and he was robbed. He suffered from someone else's crime. There wasn't much of anything else about him. There is absolutely no mention whatsoever about the man's moral standing, his ethnic heritage, or skin color, or his sexual orientation. It was simply a man on the road and he was robbed. He was simply a person who suffered from evil and was hurt and someone took away something very valuable and personal things away from him. Nothing else mattered at that moment. And the good neighbor who went above and beyond to help won over the compliments from Jesus with the listener's compliance. This good neighbor had outperformed both religious and legal obligations to holiness, that of the priest and the Levite. In part one of this podcast series, I quoted from 1 Timothy 1.9, which says, The law is made for the unholy and profane. From the view of God's law, there are most certainly practices in this world that is unholy. Absolutely. And it is through this parable, Jesus showed that the love of a good neighbor in action goes above and beyond the legal obligations to holiness for another person in need. If you're listening to this parable, you may be like the person who was robbed on the road just living life, robbed of something that is very personal and important and valuable to you and had it forcefully taken away from you. You may be like the priest in this parable, who has always strived to live and abide to holiness, but simply pass by the needs of others. Or you may be like the person who has taken on the responsibility to uphold the law in the political arena as a civic servant of society like the Levite in his time. And you may be like the Good Samaritan who has the resources and the opportunities to help those in need regardless of their moral standing or ethnic background. Or you may also be like the innkeeper who's been charged with the wages and responsibilities to care for medical and social needs of the wounded, whether as an inn or 
as a clinic. And if you're listening from this parable, you may be like the person in any of these groups among LGBTQ communities, healthcare communities, faith communities, legislative and policing legal communities. And part of this parable's powerful and universal dynamic is that no matter who you are, things look a little bit different when you become the person in need, when you become the person who has been hurt or sinned against even, robbed like this man. So Jesus asked, who do you say would be a good neighbor to you in that situation when that situation comes to you or in, an, or in another way? Who would you be in this parable? The priest and the Levite didn't do anything to save a person because of their holy obligation to the law. But a Samaritan comes along, bound by no law at all, saves heroically. That's the amazing difference between law and grace. Now onto the senator's dilemma and the principles of government. There are things in society which the law cannot accomplish. Romans 8.3-4 says, What the law was powerless to do, God has done it. Past tense. What the law was powerless to do, God has done it by sending his son Jesus Christ. According to scripture, there are things in this world that the law has no power to deliver or accomplish, weakened by the flesh. The point I'm trying to make here for a simple one-liner is this. You cannot legalize grace. This probably sounds strange to you the first time you hear it. You cannot legalize grace. Because grace is something that you cannot earn by merit or just by carrying it out or doing something. Like the man who was robbed from the Samaritan or by upholding the law like the priest or the Levites. The minute you enforce a gracious thing to be done by the legal rule of law, it is no longer gracious. It is no longer grace because then it would be required by the law. And the person must do something out of obligation rather than to choose to do it by his own or her own free volition, free will. So to enforce it by law, grace loses its value. And this is why the Bible speaks of freedom. You're not bound by the law to do such a good thing. Rather, it is in your freedom to be gracious because you, out of your own heart, are choosing to do something good to help which was not required by the law. And the law as an extension of the government's main function is powerless to enforce any acts of grace if giving medical care or opening foster care agencies to certain communities can indeed be an act of grace, then God help us all to live by grace. So the only thing that a government could do is either to grant the freedom for a thing to be done namely for clinics and agencies to take someone in and help their needs or prohibit a thing not to be done, as in for clinics not to turn away anyone. Meaning, to prohibit something by law doesn't make a situation better for anyone. Since, if the heart is bent on it, there's always a way around every law. And to make things better for anyone by grace is not a commission the law could enforce, because it will be out of a gracious heart like the Samaritan via the innkeeper. How then can any of us have a change of heart? Oh, God help us all. The law is unable to enforce giving gracious health care or social service to LGBTQ communities of their needs, 
And that's a deep-seated issue of liberty and freedom reserved for clinics and health agencies negotiating with taxes and government funding on behalf of the needy. Clinics and agencies all have their freedom and liberty. Freedom is precisely the pretext of grace. Meaning, if you are a healthcare professional, the ground is already paved, already set for you to be gracious. You are free to make that choice, regardless of your moral viewpoint. So be gracious to those in need, just like both the man on the road and the Samaritan, graced by God, graced through His Church, and through all the worshippers of Jesus. This is what this world needs desperately—a gracious thing. These are all points of debates that the senator had run into and heating up in the political arena all over the world when it comes to LGBTQ needs. It's about law and grace, really. The debate you see unfolding in the news outlet and in the political arena, affecting tens of thousands of caregivers and the needy from every kind of communities, all illustrate what the Bible has already taught. So let's go back to read it properly. The person who upholds the law and lives by grace will do exceedingly well before the eyes of God. What we need now is a lesson to be gracious towards one another, all under the grace of God to each of us. Because the death of Jesus has fulfilled His own law against our unholy sinfulness. Another line of scripture, much abbreviated here, just to illustrate my point. Jesus said, "I was hungry, and you give me something to eat. In prison, and you came to visit me. Whatever you did for one of the least of these, you did it for me." In the parable. The disciples had to ask, "When did we see you, Jesus?" The disciples had to ask in a sense like they didn't even recognize Jesus. When did we see you? When we served you. Amazingly, the righteous are the ones who help the needy, without even recognizing that was Jesus all along. Jesus, who compared himself to the king in that parable, is teaching. A lesson to all of us to live by grace. Jesus was, in a manner of speaking, saying, "If you want to honor me and worship me so much as a king that I am, Jesus, help the needy, and be gracious to them, generously gracious." And Jesus Himself accepts all of that as if it were done to Him. Jesus gives to everyone because, as a man, He understands our needs. And as a God, He's able to empower us. Jesus gives to the needy; He gives them the honor of His own identity. As in, if anyone graciously help you when you're in need, it is as if they have helped me, the King. And as a King, He charged, even commanded His disciples, and thereby the church to help by granting His kingly power, saying. You can help them. Yes, you can, and that's the same reason why Jesus is so amazing. Because as a God, He's completely and fully obligated to the perfect standard of holiness and justice of the good law. But as a man and the perfect Son of God, He had visited upon the filth of mankind, and the radiance of God's purity is so great. That when he reaches out to someone with the Holy Spirit, he can sanctify and make someone pure and holy again. Holy again, 
from unholiness. Oh, dear Christians, meet the needs, don't create them. Besides anyone's moral standing, we need the help of each other before God and all under the grace of God. And it is those who are righteous in the name of Jesus that will be rewarded with the knowledge of and intimacy with God, the Holy One. Like Jesus said, sometimes there's people who serve and worship Jesus without even recognizing it's Him all along. Remember Mary and Peter in the Gospels. And sometimes, even though they hang out in the temple of God all day, like a priest or Levite would do, they miss the chance to help anyone to honor God. The man who was saved likely forgot about the others who came before the Good Samaritan. My prayer goes out to everyone who is in need in each and every one's special way, everyone who is able to provide in each and every one's special way, for the grace of God to be embraced above all and for the law of God to be upheld above all as well. This is Over the Air Christian Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Feel free to subscribe. God be with you. Talk to you again soon. Peace. Mm-hmm.